a few years ago, the first year, or the first Yom Kippur, after my Rebbe Ravamitel was Nifter, I sat in the Besmedrash of the Gush, awaiting Tzvilas Ne'ilah. Ravamitel was a legendary chazan, and so much of my Yom Naraim experience over the last 30 years has been dominated by his voice, by his tears, by his heartfelt prayers, by his reminding us of how the he to David in Europe during the Holocaust, laughing at themselves for asking Hashem to give kavod to the Jewish people, realizing how Jewish blood was cheaper than dog's blood, and yet having their faith intact. But also, so many of his legendary sichot were given on the first two days of Rosh Hashanah, before Mosef, before Tkia Shofar, and then, of course, in the hurried 10-12 minutes before Tfilas Ne'ilah on Yom Kippur. Now my Rebbe had passed away, and I had no one to speak to me before Ne'ilah and to prepare me for that Tfilah. I sat in the Gush Beis near a colleague, Rav Amnon Bazak, and we looked at each other as the person got up to speak, himself a fantastic speaker, but we missed Rav Amitel so much. We looked at each other and began to cry like two babies, wondering how we could begin to enter Tfilas Nila without Rav Amitel. He would quote the same medrash on an, an almost yearly basis. I won't say every year, but almost every year. We could see it coming. And now that I look back on it, I can realize and appreciate how revolutionary this medrash was and changing, literally, the way I dive into Tfilas Nila. For many of us, the Me'ila experience, the Me'ila, excuse me, is dominated by a sense of foreboding last-minute urgency. We've davened four Tfilas throughout Yom Kippur, Mariv, Shachris, Mosaf, Mincha. And now, Ni'ila means they're closing. What is closing? What is being locked? The gates. Which gates? Which gates? The gates of Shemayim. What is the consequence of these gates locking? Our tefillos may not ascend and may not penetrate to Shemayim. And there's an urgency to daven as furiously and as desperately as we can to assure that our tefillos do indeed ascend last minute before those gates slam shut. Rav Amitel quoted the following medrash to us, and it is a tonal revolution of the way I daven But first, some background to the medrash. Shir HaShirim is, of course, the great lyric of Jewish history. It describes a courtship between male and female, which is meant to capture the courtship between HaKadosh Baruch Hu as the male and the Jewish people as the female throughout history, looking for each other, trying to unite, trying to rendezvous. Throughout the Sefer, the male looks for the female, HaKadosh Baruch Hu looks for us. The female searches for the male, we look for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But in Perak Dalid, this courtship comes to a bit of a semi-climax, where the male is solicitous in a frontal fashion. This is in Shir Hashim, excuse me, Parakeh. 
The female is sleeping. So right off the bat, the female is a bit um, lazy. The female is a bit diffident. But the male is much more interested and much more assertive. He comes and knocks on her door. He pleads with her to open the door. And from her standpoint, she still is a little bit indolent. I'm already in my pajamas. It's too hard to wake up. I've already washed my legs. I don't want to dirty them. At which point, the male says, well, if you can't answer the door for me, I'll go one step further. I'll stick my hand through the door. Just take my hand. And finally, the female awakens. The female feels passion. And in a slow, gradual process, she begins to answer the solicitation of the male to try to open the door. She arises. Her hands filled with the aroma of perfume. And her fingers have perfume. Al Kapos Hamanol. On the lock of the door. So this is a setting describing HaKadosh Baruch Hu pursuing the Jewish people, asking us to open the door to let him in so that we can encounter him. And finally, the Jewish people maybe slowly, gradually, lethargically trying to open that door for the mail for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The Medrash, which Rav Amital would quote for us every year, is not really cited in our Midrashim, but it's cited by a Talmud of the Ramban, Rabbeinu Bachaye Ibn Bakuda, in his Sefer known as the Kat HaKemach. In the Sefer Kat HaKemach on Yom HaKippurim, he quotes the Medrash that we don't have, the first part of that process of opening the door, that's Tfilah Shachris. Yadai Natfumor, my hands being full of perfume, Zem Musaf, that refers to the next stage of this process, Musaf of Yom Kippur. Etz Be'osai, Mar Over, where the process is really gathering steam, my fingers themselves smell of perfume, Zem Mincha. Al Kapos Hamanol, when I finally take the door to open it, Zunila. The Medrash, of course, exploits the fact that the word Manul, which is a lock of a door, comes from the same root as Ni'ilah. Namely, the Medrash describes a slow process of Yom Kippur, where slowly but surely, a process culminating in Ni'ilah, the Jews are trying to respond to Hashem's call and open the door and allow HaKadosh Baruch Hu in. And that final attempt to open the door occurs during Tefillah's Ne'ilah. Namely, and here is the revolution, here is the complete inversion, where Ne'ilah traditionally meant trying to keep the doors of Shamayim open, the doors of Tefillah, and enable our Tefillahs to ascend, in this Medrash, the door that we are trying to open is not the doors of Shamayim potentially blocking our tfilos, but the door that separates the male from the female, the door that separates HaKadosh Baruch Hu from His people, the door that we've been trying to open the entire Yom Kippur, and hopefully can pry open on Ilah. What is that door? That door 
is not the door or the gate of heaven. It's the door or the gate of a human heart. The only gate whose key HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't possess. HaKadosh Baruch Hu possesses all the Mavtechos. Se'u she'arim rashechem v'hinasu pitchei olam v'yavau melech ha'kavod. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, by definition, possesses all the gates to all the doors, but the only gate he doesn't possess, or the only key he doesn't possess, is the key to the door of a human heart. For him to enter and create that encounter or that rendezvous, a human being has to let him in. So the goal or the vision of Tfilas Neila is not looking towards Shamayim and trying to halt the closing of the gates of Tfilah. Rather, there's an internalization. Looking into your own heart, trying to open your heart to allow HaKadosh Baruch Hu to enter. The larger drama of Yom Kippur is not whether our tfilos will or will not be accepted, whether those gates in Shamayim will close prematurely or only after our tfilos successfully penetrate. The larger drama of Yom Kippur is will we be with HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Will that rendezvous occur? Will that encounter materialize? And the larger drama is using the Elah successfully to pry open the gate and the door of a human heart that doesn't always allow a Kaddish Baruch Hu to enter. What makes this so revolutionary is not just that you're looking internally as opposed to looking to Shemayim, but a Kaddish Baruch Hu is helping you. To a degree, so to speak, I always found it strident. I always found it almost incongruous that we relate to HaKadosh Baruch Hu the whole day as an Avinu of HaRachaman who cares for us and is compassionate. And then when the Elah time comes, it's almost as if he becomes, in our minds obviously, I won't say ruthless, Chas but less compassionate than as if he's closing gates. Of course it's not true. But, and the gates have to be closed, and Yom Kippur has to end. But it casts HaKadosh Baruch Hu in a very, very different feel for the human heart than we've experienced over Yom Kippur. Whereas in this medrash, in this narrative, in this drama, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is trying to get in. He's trying to open the door. He's on the other side of the door of the human heart trying to enter. He's our ally. He's cooperating. And we are empowered to open the door that we possess the keys to, rather than disempowered, standing on the earth, hoping that we can sneak our tefillos in before those gates of Shemayim close. It also makes Ne'ilah not incongruous with Yom Kippur, as if Yom Kippur, the gates of Shemayim are completely open, and Ne'ilah they're closing, and we want to, so to speak, defeat Ne'ilah. We want to defeat the closing of the gates by circumventing, by uh, preempting. But Ne'ilah is the culmination. It's the final stage. Al kapos amanul. We get up, we daven shachris, mincha, musaf, and finally we're at the gates of our own hearts. We've shed deceit, presumptuous, pretentious, artifice. We're as close to being authentic and genuine as possible. And now we can open the gate of our heart and enable and facilitate that rendezvous. So it's a sea change. It's a complete shift.
in my experience, and hopefully our experience of Ne'ilah, not chas v'shalom to replace the classic image of Ne'ilah as it refers to the gates of Shemayim shutting and Tfilos, perhaps non-penetrating Shemayim. But it adds a level and it adds a terrain to Tfilos Ne'ilah. Don't just think about the gates of Shemayim. Think about your own heart, your own ability to admit HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has been coveting us the entire year. On Yom Kippur, just like the male was coveting the female the entire Shir Hashirim. On Yom Kippur, that coveting and that pursuit, that solicitation becomes more frontal. It's on us to open the door for Him. And as best we can, during Nila, we try to pry open the harshest gate, the gate of the human heart that doesn't always want to admit HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who desires to be part of the human experience. It changes the way we daven. Rav Amitav would tell us, even if you're unable to know what you want, sometimes we have deep, deep, innate desires that we can't articulate through tefillah. Well, HaKadosh Baruch Hu helps you daven. Just like HaKadosh Baruch Hu is helping the male in Shir Hashirim, is helping the female open the gates of that door, pry open that door. Rav Amitav would quote a rivash to us in Simon Kuf Nun Zayin, quoting Rabbeinu Shimshon of Kinon, one of the great Rishonim, that as opposed to those who try to daven metaphysically and theologically and think of different spheres and the correspondence of tefillah to spheres of the universe, Hu Haya Omer, the Rashmi Kinon quoted a friend of his, a, a Rav Gadol, one of the leading rabbis of his generation, Ani mispalel ledaz zehatinok. I try to daven like a baby. What does it mean, I try to daven like a baby? Baby doesn't know what it wants, it just cries. It's up to the parent to decipher whether the baby is crying for food or for sleep or for med- medical attention or personal attention. But one thing about the baby's cry, it's pure. It's not artificial. It's not fraudulent. So even during the year, there's something special about a simple, unadorned, but honest and genuine tefillah. Even more so during the Ilah, when a Kaddish Baruch Hu essentially can daven for us. When Shlomo davens that the Beis Hamikdash should be an epicenter of tefillah, he says to Hashem, Ata, Tishma shamayim achon shiftecha. Listen to our tefilos. Why? Asher tidas levavo. You know our hearts. Ki ata yadata levadcha es levav kol bnei adam. Only you know what's in our hearts. So Shlomo is asking Hakadosh Baruch Hu, don't accept our tefilos. Accept the unspoken motives and unspoken desires, which are the predicate of our tefilos that we're unable to voice or even articulate mentally and emotionally. But you're able to probe those incohate thoughts of human experience and snatch the intents that human minds and hearts can't fully articulate. This is true, of course, in general in tefillah, but it's even more so. And Rav Amitav would cite this pasuk to us during the ilah, when Hashem just wants us to open the door to our heart and admit Him. And even if our tefillahs aren't fully articulated, for us. It affects tefillah in another way. If a Baruch Hu really wants us to open the door to our heart, 
And our tefillos could be a little bit more audacious and aggressive. In general, there's a very thin line between humble, meek tefillos and demanding, assertive tefillos. Generally, that line runs between personal tefillos, which are meant to be meek and undeserved, submissive. When you daven on behalf of the Jewish people, Chodesh Baruch Hu covets that that davening be even aggressive and even militant. As Chazal described Moshe's tefillah on behalf of the Jewish people, Vayichal Moshe Espenei Hashem Elokav, Chazal have different references to the images of Vayichal, but all of them are very assertive tefillahs. Whereas in Moshe davens for his own needs, Vayichanan El Hashem, he begs and supplicates for free undeserved pity. So in general, there are moments which HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants our davening, especially on behalf of the Jewish people, to be assertive. But on, during the Elah, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak, needs us more than we need Him, if we maintain the Shir HaShir metaphor, that aspect of the metaphor. He's coveting us more than we covet Him, naturally. And on Yom Kippur, we're just trying to reciprocate that interest. So of course He'd be excited if we became audacious in davening to Him to open that door more aggressively and more successfully and create that rendezvous and encounter more immediately. There's a story about Rublebi Yitzchak of Barditchev, the great Ohev Yisrael. One of my wish lists when I get to Olam Haba is to be a fly on a wall during the conversation between Rublebi Yitzchak and Ravamital. Rublebi Yitzchak had such an overarching sense of Jewish identity. And he incorporated Jews into his vision of Jewish history, even if Jews had lost ritual fidelity and ritual commitment. And he did this without the organ of the State of Israel as the tool for incorporation. Rav Amital articulated this to us, as many in his generation did. He articulated so passionately to us. But through the prism of the State of Israel, the people who live in the State of Israel, serve in the army, participate in, in state building, whether in the state proper or living outside of the state, but engaged in the process of the state's evolution. They're a part of Jewish experience. They're Jewish heroes, even if, sadly, their ritual commitment sometimes is diminished. But what's so amazing about Rebbe Yitzchak is that he articulated this message in the 19th century, not in the 20th century, in the wake of the state of Israel. So I would love to see what their conversation is like, how they speak to one another. One year, Reb Levi Yitzchak was davening, and he got to the end of the bracha, the bracha which concludes the Shemon Esrei, Melech mochel v'soleach lavon osenu, lavon osamo beis Yisrael, umavirash mosenu b'chol shana v'shana, melech al kol ha'aretz v'kadesh Yisrael v'yom ha'kippurim. And he halted, and he was silent for several minutes. Five minutes passed, he was quiet. Ten minutes passed, he was quiet. He didn't conclude the bracha. Fifteen minutes passed, he was quiet. People were getting worried. Why isn't Ablevi Yitzchak the Chazan finishing the bracha of Shmon Esrei of Yom Kippur? After waiting ten or fifteen minutes, Ablevi Yitzchak blurted out the conclusion of the bracha. Quickly. Everyone was shocked. Why did he wait 10-15 minutes to conclude the bracha? And why, when he finally continued, did he blurt it out so quickly and rapidly? After Yom Kippur, the Kahal gathered and they asked him, Levi Yitzchak, what happened? 
He said, I saw when I was davening, there was tremendous kitrog in Shemayim. There were mashchisim, malachim, deflecting all the tefillos, and my tefillos just weren't penetrating Sharei Shemayim. And I felt there was no purpose to daven. How am I going to daven when the tefillos will be blunted? And then I remembered a trick. Me, or myself, and my siblings would play on my mother. Our mother had a cabinet full of candy, and when we received a reward for good behavior, we received the candy, but we weren't allowed to open the locked cabinet during the rest of the year, or during the time we weren't, she didn't allocate candies to us. We discovered the following trick. When we really wanted a candy, we'd all gather outside the candy closet, and one of us would blurt out a bracha, Baruch Hashem, Melech Olam Shachol and our mother, listening to us recite the bracha, and fearing that it would be a bracha levatala, would then be forced to give us candy, because we had recited a bracha. Rabbi Yisrael said, then I realized I could play the same trick on HaKadosh Baruch Hu. When the, and to assure my tefillos, I'm going to blurt out the bracha that HaKadosh Baruch Hu forgives the Jewish people, and when I recite the bracha, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has to allow my tefillos to come up to Shemayim, so that it won't be a bracha levatala. During Tefillah's Ne'ilah, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not just our male spouse trying to pry open the door. He's also our loving mother. Obviously, these are parallel imageries. He loves us. He wants us. He wants us to have the candy. He wants us to pry open the door. And that was Rebbe Levi Yitzchak's sense that the audacity to blurt out a bracha and, so to speak, force HaKadosh Baruch Hu to open the door in the same way you force your mother to give you a candy was completely appropriate and suitable this is, to me, and I first realized that this year, 2015, when I reread some of the Sichot, I didn't realize how revolutionary it was when I was listening to these speeches and davening based on these speeches. But looking back, it completely, completely revamped and revamps my Ne'ilah experience. I'm not only looking to Shemayim, trying to hold back these titanic gates from closing, closing, but I'm looking inward, trying to generate the authenticity and courage to open my heart to Kodesh Baruch Hu. Kodesh Baruch Hu isn't distant behind these closing gates, but he's on the other side of my heart, trying to enter. He's my ally. He davens with me and for me. It's an eternalization of the gate drama, rather than only thinking about cosmological gates thousands of light years away from us that we're trying to pry open.